The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, welcome in Chiefs Kingdom. The latest edition of the Outer Structure podcast is away Got me, Ron Cop here with Matt Stagner of Arrowhead Pride. Teammates here. Matt, what's up? How you doing today? Hey, good. Ready to talk some Chiefs. Let's do it. And so, yeah, right off the bat, you know, we, we, we're Chiefs fans, right? We're originally Chiefs fans, even though some of you think of us as just like these insider Chiefs reporter people, which we are absolutely <laughs> not. We're just Chiefs fans. I like to write about the Chiefs. And so we kind of wanted to get into kind of get to know each other a little more in that respect and, and, you, and allow you guys to kind of get us get to know us a little more as well just how we became fans and kind of just our first memories as Chiefs fans and, and how and what it means to us, all that kind of stuff. That's what we're going to kick off with today. We do have Twitter questions later and we're going to get to those. You guys have some good ones. But right off the bat, Matt, I'll let you kind of take it from here. How did you become a Chiefs fan? What, what was your first Chiefs memories? Yeah, so I grew up in a small town that some of you may know. It's called Plattsburgh, Missouri. It's about 45 minutes north of Kansas City on the Missouri side. And my grandfather and my dad were big Chiefs fans. And we had this Sunday tradition that maybe, again, many of you have, is fried chicken, mashed potatoes at grandma's house. And then we would sit around and watch the Chiefs game. And uh, grandpa and dad, grandpa was a, a big country guy, had a farm, wore bib overalls with no shirt in the summer, bib overalls with the flannel shirt in the winter. You know what I mean? That kind of guy. When he told a story, it was like listening to Larry the Cable Guy talk. But he, what he loved more than anything was to get me riled up. So we would talk Chiefs, and he and my dad would just rail and complain about everything that there was to complain about this team, about how terrible they were. And I would always have to play the the optimist and, and, and argue back at him and tell him why they were going to pull it out, why they were going to come around. Now, I am 43 this year. So we started off watching games in the Bill Kinney era when he got sacked by everybody on every play, right? We got really into it in the Steve DeBerg era when he was playing with that giant pinky cast and and the king of play action passes. So all the way through that era, the Dave Craig era, uh, into you know the the golden age when when the Chiefs had the best offensive line in football and and Joe Montana and Marcus Allen and, and Trent Green in those years. So it was always a family tradition. And, you know, my, my dad passed away a few years ago. And honestly, one of the last memories I have of uh, talking to him, we watched the Chiefs game together when he was in the hospital in 2017. And it was after the Chiefs had drafted Patrick Mahomes. And, and I said, 
You just watch. This guy is going to lead them to Super Bowls. And and it, it is one of the big regrets I had in watching the Super Bowl was that dad wasn't there to watch it with me. But I remember watching that with him and, and you know, sitting in the hospital room watching watching games and, and just talking about how they're finally going to turn that corner because they finally swung for the fences. So it's very personal to me. It's very family oriented to me. And I'm trying my best to pass that on to my kids and get them into football in spite of my wife's uh, wishes. So uh, Ron, Ron, how did all, how did this all start for you? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a great story. First of all, sorry about your dad, but that is, that's awesome that that was one of the last, you know, or the last chief's memory you kind of have with them. That's, that's great. You called it, you know, called your shot. So very similar. I mean, you know, it's, that, that's the thing with, you know, fandom, it, it is really a family kind of thing. You know, I, there's no reason I wasn't a football kid growing up really, honestly, I was kind of a nerdy kid, just uh, really into like, just random, I don't know, you know, like dinosaurs and stuff, all that kind of stuff. And here's the thing, my parents, my mom and dad went to every home game in the 90s, uh, season ticket members. My family has been season ticket members since they moved to Kansas City. But my parents went, specifically them, went to every game in the 90s, saw all the big games. And I don't know, it was just kind of funny. I just, growing up, I kind of like felt like I missed out on that because when I did start to kind of really get into football and really get into the Chiefs was 2005 and six. So I missed out on, you know, 2003, the big year. I missed out on the 90s. I started liking it when Trent Green went down and Damon Heward came in and Damon Heward was my guy. He was my quarterback, led him to the playoffs. And then they put Trent Green back in in the playoffs and we didn't score. We only scored eight points. And I remember that because my parents actually went to the Colts uh, Indianapolis game in Indianapolis, that wild card game. Yeah, where Ty Law picked off Peyton Manning, got all the way down to like the one and they couldn't punch it in. Oh my gosh. Uh, and then, yeah, living through all those bad years and, you know, until the Andy Reid era. But no, honestly, I, you know, I, I, my dad took me to all these games. It was kind of a me and my dad thing, but it was a whole family thing. I have siblings that are huge Chiefs fans, cousins, uncles, all that kind of stuff. But I, I've seen the heartbreak since then. I've, I've witnessed all the heartbreaks since 0506, not the ones before. I'm glad I didn't witness the 90s ones. I don't know if I would have been able to take those. 2016, you know, Pittsburgh at home watching the Chiefs lose to a team that only kicked six field goals to beat them and Patriots AFC Championship. I've been at all those. Um, so I've, I've witnessed Arrowhead heartbreak, but it's nice to have, it's nice to have the success we have now. But yeah, no, I, I, that's fun, Stag, going through the 90s and stuff. But is there a favorite Arrowhead moment you have being at Arrowhead Stadium? I know you don't live here, so you don't, you're not able to get there all the time, but what kind of favorite moment do you have from Arrowhead? Yeah, for those of you that don't know, I'm in Des Moines, Iowa now. I've been here for the last 15 years or so. So I make it down usually to a game a season if I can. I remember back in 2010 going to this game and, and watching being an Iowa resident, the excitement around the future of the tight end position in the NFL, the next Tony Gonzalez for the Chiefs. When Tony Moyaki was drafted, we were all fired up here. And I went to that game against San Francisco at Arrowhead when he made the most spectacular catch maybe of the last couple decades uh, in, in of Chiefs football. And so I'll never forget watching that over and over again on the uh, stadium highlights and, and replays and wondering like, how did he make that catch? You know, did, did he really pull that in? And yeah. The one hander being so pumped about the future of Tony Moyaki in, in a chief's uniform. And uh, that was quite short lived as we well know. Well, yeah, no, I'm with you there too, because that was the first year they were finally having success after, you know, like a three or four year stint where they were just crap. And they finally, you know, won the division that year. And it was kind of exciting. They were three and zero. that was week three, if I recall correctly. So they were, you know, undefeated going into Arrowhead and all that. 
actually reminded me of, of, of a, another memory, 2010, the home opener. If you remember Monday night, Chargers came in, it was pouring an arrowhead. It was a Monday night football game. Dexter McCluster takes 90 yards back to the house. He actually ran right towards where we were sitting as it was pouring on us. That, that's a good memory too. I didn't even think about that one until you talked 2010. But I have to go for my favorite Arrowhead moment. 2013, Chiefs are 6 or 7 or no, whatever they were. Raiders come into town. Tom Bahali and Justin Houston just go wreak havoc on Terrell Pryor. Like 10 sacks total, I think, in the game. My favorite moment of that game was at the very end, Hussein Abdullah has the pick six, if you recall, running down the left sideline. And I am telling you, that is, I've been to plenty of games that kind of already played that out. That is the loudest I've ever heard Arrowhead. It got so loud, I literally just became a white noise where like it just, it was like just silent how loud it was. You know, it doesn't make sense, but that's how it was. I remember, and that was, I think the Guinness World of Records was there that, that day too. So I remember right, he uh, slid into the end zone on his knees, right? That was, hold on, that was Monday night 2014 against okay. Tom Brady. Yeah, you're right. And I can't believe he had two pick sixes. Hassan Abdullah, shout out him. He was he was yeah. a great uh, uh, bargain basement Chiefs player. All the best Chiefs moments, especially in the bad years, were against the Raiders. I, I We were talking earlier, and there was some games that I went to, like the Christmas Day game when the Chiefs had the division locked up. I was surrounded by some family members that are from the Bay Area, and they were they were giving me a hard time about the Raiders fairly comfortably winning that game. I had to let them know that I'd be enjoying the playoffs the next week while they were watching from home. But my favorite Chiefs moment probably was the Jamal five touchdown game against the Raiders when it didn't matter what happened. In fact, there was a story out there that I think it was Jeff Swartz, as you mentioned earlier, that they, the Chiefs offensive linemen started telling the Raiders that this was that a screenplay was coming. This is here's another screen. Be ready. Watch out. Here it comes. And he still ran past them over and over again. It was laughable. I was laughing out loud. I think I had tears in my eyes, just cracking up at how ridiculous that game was and how fun it was to just just make a laughing stock of the Raiders defense. And, and Jamal Charles just put on a show that day. He's probably my all time favorite chief, largely because of that game. But, and to add to that shorts thing, I think now that I'm remembering him or I think I remember him saying like the Raiders defense was even like, why can't we stop this yelling at each other? Like, what is going on? Like, it's the same play. I think I remember that being a thing, too. So that's a good one. And hey, actually, my favorite moment from the from those kind of, you know, tougher years was also Jamal Charles. It was actually his rookie year. I think 2009 was his rookie year. Actually, second year, I believe. 2009, Steelers come into Arrowhead. I've never seen opposing fans take over Arrowhead more than this. Uh, it was 70% Steelers fans, I want to say. It was crazy. We ended up beating them in overtime. It was a great game. Andy Studebaker had like a 90-yard interception return. That was one of my favorite moments. But my favorite moment of that game was the opening kickoff. Jamal Charles takes it 99-whatever yards. DJ leading the way for him down the field. I remember that vividly. That is definitely one of my favorite moments from the bad years. So I'll go with that one. Speed like that is it's once in a generation and, and to have as a Chiefs fan, Jamal Charles and then now Tyreek Hill. I think we're pretty blessed when it comes to watching somebody who's just on a different level and a different different gear than the rest of the league. Well, let's get to your Twitter questions. You guys, you guys have brought some great questions, but you are hung up on one topic that you will not let die. So we've got to address this one more time. You know, from Leighton Youngblood, from Hunter Carroll, from Boogie, from Tanner Graver, 
the list goes on and on. Everybody wants to talk about Julio Jones. Ron, have, has our position changed since I said hell no a few weeks ago? Yeah, uh, maybe a little bit. And I think what has changed is the fact that Julio's gone public about this. And now it's it's public information that the Falcons are going to trade him. That doesn't help the Falcons cause on getting a lot back. You know, it, it forces kind of their hand. They have to get something back. And if no play, if no team wants to give them a first or second round pick, maybe they can only get a third or crazy enough, maybe even later round pick for him. You know, it's one of these things is cap casualties. Teams don't want to hang on to a guy making, according to over the cap, nineteen million next year, and that's where that's where it gets a little iffy for a Chiefs for a Chiefs fit. So I, it's one of those things where I don't think it needs to happen. I think it'll just complicate things with the the, the cap structure and everything. So I'm still not in favor of it. I don't. I mean, maybe hell no isn't as strong just because or isn't the right answer anymore. Just because. If they can get a low draft pick to trade for him, you know, that'd be great. But knowing Brett Veach, you can never rule it out. So what do you think about it? Yeah, you know, trading lower round draft picks for veteran players is part of my brand, I would say. It's something that I I believe pretty strongly that if you can flip anything that looks like a day three pick into somebody who could be a contributor that you've seen on an NFL field, then, then there's no reason not to if they can make it work from a salary standpoint. So like you, I wouldn't be upset if it happens. I don't expect it whatsoever. But if the price comes way down, the Chiefs could shuffle the deck and, and make it work. Sure. So if that were to happen, Ron, let's, let's go ahead and, and squeeze in our Bubble Watch 2021 segment for this week and say if they were to get Julio Jones, who is on the roster bubble? Yeah, so I think naturally you just have to think Demarcus Robinson, right? I think they, you know, because Julio is an X type. I know Julio is just one of those receivers where it doesn't, you don't put him in a necessary position. You just put him wherever he, wherever he needs to go. I mean, he's going to line up wherever, but he's an X type of receiver. You have Byron Pringle, you have Cornell Powell. They're younger guys. You know, you don't know what you get from him yet. And so maybe there's still a ceiling to those guys. So you don't want to get rid of them. And that leaves Robinson. I think we know what Robinson is. He's, I think he's capped. You know, I, I, th- I don't think he's going to get any better this year. I know some people, I have a few friends that really think it's, it's Demarcus Robinson's year to shine now that Sammy's gone. I just, I, I'm That's not, I, I, yeah, I know. And, and I, I'm just not with that. I think he's just who, who is who he is, who is a pretty good receiver when he's put in the right positions and stuff and makes some tough catches sometimes, but. No, I think it'd be Robinson, but do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, at the wide receiver position, he's the one that makes the most sense. You know, we just put Callaway on the bubble last week. Really, all of the other receivers are on the bubble already, other than Tyreek Hill and probably Byron Pringle. So if you're adding, you know, an all-pro receiver to that room, pushing everybody else down, then you're going to look for youth and special teams ability. And and yeah, Byron Pringle is probably going to make the roster for his special teams ability which means that Robinson might be the odd man out. So we'll go unanimous on the bubble watch 2021 and say that DeMarcus Robinson joins the bubble. If the chiefs were somehow in some alternate universe, able to pull off a Julio Jones trade and and make that work. So let's go ahead and take a quick break there. We'll come right back with more of your Twitter questions on the out of structure podcast. So we're back here on the Out of Structure podcast on the Arrowhead Pride podcast network. Hopefully you're checking out our articles coming out every day on arrowheadpride.com. We're going to get back into your Twitter questions here from Wes Burns. I think it's a pretty tough question and a good question. So shout out you. Who would you rather see have a Pro Bowl season? 
McCall Hardman or Juan Thornhill? And he wants to clarify that Hardman, Hardman, obviously, as a receiver, he's made the Pro Bowl as a returner before. But I'll start on this one. You know, I'll go with Juan Thornhill. You know, I, I think it, it's easier to maybe say Hardman, and I'll let you take that, Matt. But I think Juan Thornhill, if you get a Pro Bowl level safety out of him, you know, a guy like a Justin Simmons or a Jamal Adams, who we've seen make the Pro Bowl recently, paired already with Tyron Matthew at the top of the of the defense, you know, patrolling back there, just making life easier on the cornerbacks and uh, linebackers and pass coverage. You know, when you have safeties that are really rangy, like both of them are, Thornhill's so fast. He can get around so quick, so explosive when he's fully healthy, obviously. I just really think that makes life easier on the rest of the defense. And so if you do have that, I just think the coverage all of a sudden gets a lot better. Linebackers aren't put out to dry as much. Cornerbacks aren't put out to dry as much. So I'd say Juan Thornhill, but what do you think on that? So that's not a bad answer if you think about how he affects so many other players. And I think that's one of the things, if we're putting together these these hypotheticals, which player impacts the, the outcome of the game or the other players around him more is probably the better answer. McCool Hardman turning into a Pro Bowl wide receiver from the level that he's been operating over the last couple seasons would be a huge development for the offense. It would be impossible to guard when you've got Tyreek Hill on one side and McCole Hardman playing at a Pro Bowl level on the other side. It's hard to fathom how how good that offense could be, but you could also make the case that they're going to be pretty good whether he takes a big step forward or not. And Hardman, if he's a 600-yard, seven-touchdown guy, is a plenty good contributor for this offense. And he's shown that he can do that. So I think Hardman is the obvious answer here just to contradict myself there because an explosive Hardman makes this offense out of control. Good. Thornhill's playing at a pretty good level already. Yeah. And they've, they've got a bunch of bodies, you know, in the, in the secondary that are all versatile pieces. So maybe you could replace a Thornhill if you had to, which really, really gets us to our next question, Rod. Yeah. So our next question, and I think this is another good one here. So from Steve Gray at Steve Gray Jr. on Twitter, if you could redo one offseason move, either draft or free agency, if you could redo one move from either kind of, and, and I think we will, I think we will go. Uh, I think both of us have a draft and a free agency decision we'd like to make. But um, if that is the case, what is the one offseason move you would change up? So this is like, uh, what was that movie, The Butterfly Effect? If you think <laughs> yeah. one little thing, there's this ripple effect that changes everything else. So exactly. Yeah. I don't exactly know how to change just one move and make it really better than the offseason they've had. I think they've had a tremendous offseason. I really like a lot of the moves they make. So it really becomes difficult to change just one thing and have it not affect a whole bunch of other things. That said, in the draft, in that second round, there was a handful of guys that we were pretty pumped about still being available, and the Chiefs turned around and took basically none of them. So if I could redo one draft pick, it would probably taking a guy like Boogie Basham, play on the edge instead of Nick Bolton. If you do that, then it sort of changes the rest of the draft downstream, I think, because then you probably don't draft Kando. Uh, maybe you take a receiver a little bit earlier. You know, So it really shifts the entire draft around. But that would have been my headliner of the draft is getting a, a an edge player that could contribute early as opposed to Kando, who's probably going to take a while to develop. So that's one move that changes a whole bunch of other moves. When it comes to free agency, you know, again, I'm pretty content with the way they put together their free agent grouping. But there was one move that didn't make a ton of sense. I mean, yeah, this saves 
a million or two on the cap, but you had Damian Williams on the roster. You let him go and sign Jarek McKinnon and reportedly have looked at other veteran running backs. I don't know why you wouldn't just keep Damian Williams if, if that's what you're looking for. He is a great fit for the offense. He can do some things that maybe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire doesn't do. He's a pretty explosive player. Obviously, we've got the Super Bowl uh, image in our heads of what he can do. So give me Damian Williams instead of Jarek McKinnon as my free agency move. Yeah, I like the free agency move. It was kind of tough to think of one, honestly, but I'll start with that one because I'm going to kind of, you know, give a little bit of a cheat answer here. But if there is any of these defensive additions we've seen, like a Will Parks, Kamala Correa, or Mike Hughes, if any of those are preventing the Chiefs from bringing in Bashad Breeland or, or Melvin Ingram, that, that's where I would say, you know, I, I wouldn't bring them in. You know, I'd rather have those two players. If, if there was a, a reason why, you know, uh, they felt content now with Hughes, they don't feel like they need to bring in Breland or that just, or, you know, even Will Parks. I know he's played cornerback in the past. Maybe they think, Hey, we got plenty of bodies now. We don't need to, you know, we don't need to pursue Breland more because the Chiefs still have cap space. So I, I still think Breland needs to be kind of a, a priority and, and, you know, Hey, he could still be coming, you know, we don't know for sure, but it just seems like it's kind of not happening maybe, but in the draft, I think we all kind of touted it. A wide receiver two would have been nice. Um, and I would have taken Diami Brown over Nick Bolton in the second round. I just, I, w- I would have really liked to see a higher talented receiver add to the group. I think we all like Powell. So it worked out. I think Powell is a guy that maybe could have been more in that conversation if he had more playing time in college. But I, I really like what I saw from Brown. I thought he would have been a big upgrade over what Powell brought us. So we're both trying to replace the Chiefs top draft pick and Nick Bolton. Here. <laughs> and so yeah, I, hope he, I hope he doesn't hear this. <laughs> that basically means that he's going to be an all pro this year as a rookie yes. and just to prove <laughs> us wrong Diamond Brown would have been a guy that we wouldn't have had to talk ourselves into as much as we've done with Powell I really like Cornell Powell I think is again maybe my favorite draft pick and somebody I looked at a little bit pre-draft yeah. but I think I think we're doing a little bit of talking him up and talking ourselves into you know a fifth round wide receiver where a Diamond Brown would be somebody that we'd be talking about immediately stepping into that second exactly. wide receiver spot. So uh, good trade there. All right, let's revisit another topic here with Cody Douglas. Will Tyron Matthew retire a chief? Tex-Mex guy asked if they weren't to re-sign Honey Badger, are they still the Super Bowl favorites in 2022? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Well, first of all, I think you have to say at this point, if you're a betting man, that, that Tyron Matthew would retire a chief. The Chiefs would be, and in my opinion, in most people's opinion, pretty pretty dumb to not uh, you know lock him back in and and get him for the long term. He's such a vital part to the defense. Frank Clark and, and Matthew came in. You know they both were such big leaders, but it's really Matthew that's been the real you know the 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 constant force and everything. So, yeah, absolutely. So I'd say Tyron retires a Chief and as Super Bowl favorites in twenty twenty two. I think the defense definitely would take a step back without Matthew, but Thornhill, you know, he, he might, you know, kind of make up for some stuff and all that. So absolutely. So, yeah, no, I think, I think Tyron, you know, he, he gets it done. You know, I think there's a deal that gets done in the summer, but next question, we'll go from Jake Wilson at Jake for now on Twitter. So I thought this was a good question. How would you rank the following players in terms of projected snap caps on defense? Bo Pete keys, Deandre Baker and Mike Hughes. What do you think? I like this question too, because it is really a lot of unknowns in the chief secondary. And there's a ton of talent there. There's a ton of upside with those three guys in particular. 
but we really have absolutely no idea where they slot in on the depth chart. So this will be something to watch all summer. In my head, I, at least from what little we've heard, the Chiefs are pretty high on DeAndre Baker, and they, they see him as a potential starter. And he, his status may be affecting Bashad Breland's status more than anybody else. If they actually see him as a starter on the outside, then there's not as much need for Breland. And they're really planning on featuring him on the outside and, and shuffling everybody else around him. So assuming that leg is healthy, which presumably it is at some point uh, this summer, Baker could even be a starter. So I want to put Baker at first. And then Mike Hughes second, because I think they find ways to work him in the slot and uh, inside and outside, depending on the down and distance. With Bo Pete Keyes third on that list, I'm just not sure he's far enough along on the development curve yet to be a huge contributor. Yeah, I agree. I'll, but I, I'd say I'd say Hughes over Baker right now. I don't know why. Just I, I I like what I saw from Hughes. I haven't seen much from Baker, even though he's played, you know, he's played a lot in the NFL already. I just maybe it's just fresh on the mind more a little bit. And Hughes just has some highlight plays, but I'll let you go to the next, next question. All right. Quick hit from Patrick Mahomes. This is a, not a chiefs fan on Twitter at not a chiefs fan perennial question asker here. So thank you right. for listening and asking questions every single week, which player from the 2021 or 2020 draft class will be the first pro bowler slash all pro player. Wrong. Yeah, I I think I, I don't. I thought it was an obvious question when I first heard it. I, I Legarius Sneed was the only thing, and I looked through the draft order. I was like, yeah, man, it, it's got to be Legarius. And and I think this year we might see him become a Pro Bowler uh, in some capacity. But I think you have a good argument for the other guy. You know, Sneed's great, and this is the obvious answer. If you look at the 2021 draft class, there's a lot of doubles and singles here potentially. Maybe not a lot of home runs. So I'm not expecting any quick pro bowlers or all pros from this draft class. Although I think it's a very solid group that can contribute. I'm just not sure any of them are going to be standouts early on in their careers. So going back to the well of 2020, going right to the top with Clyde Edwards Hilaire, you've heard me going off about how crazy he's going to be this year behind the new offensive line with a better blocking second year, healthy, ready to go. I, I think he's going to have a monster season and if the Chiefs are smart, he'll be a huge part of the passing game. And maybe he maybe he makes the Pro Bowl. So Greg McConnell has the next question. Gregory Mac 11 on Twitter. You have to do a player for player trade with one division rival team. Who are you trading? And keep in mind, it has to be realistic. He, he points out you can't trade Colin Saunders for Von Miller or something like that. So, Ron, be realistic. I know that's hard for you. Be realistic and give me a player-for-player <laughs> trade in the division. It is hard. Come on. I, I like to live in dreamland. But, no, uh, I, I the first thing I thought of was we need another uh, – it'd be great to have another dominant pass rusher. And so I targeted Joey Bosa from the Chargers. I think that's the guy I'd want the most out of anyone in the AFC West. And so you got to give up someone pretty good, right? you got to give up someone. I was thinking, you know, it makes the DB's life – easier if you have another elite pass rusher. So I'm going to give up Juan Thornhill and, you know, you're probably going to have to give up some draft picks as well. In real life, this might still not get it done for a guy like Joey Bosa, but Juan Thornhill is a guy that's really important to this defense. And Hey, I'd even say Sneed too, uh, not like both of them, but either, or get someone uh, I'll trade them away, make the DBs life easier, get Bosa. What about you? Well, a couple of questions ago, you made Juan Thornhill into a pro bowler and now you're right in the way. I guess that's why, you know, he's able to get traded for Bosa because now he's a pro bowler. So there you go. 
All right. Well, I'm looking at a trade again with a division rival as unlikely as it is. It's still fun to think about what does Brett Veach look for first round talent that hasn't quite lived up to their expectations. I'm looking at Jerry Judy as a wide receiver too, who runs fantastic routes, who would be a real nice compliment to what the chiefs have at the position and to trade for him. We're going to trade a, a big name free agent acquisition who I like, by the way, but I'm trading Joe, Joe Tooney for Jerry Judy. Whoa. So Joe Tooney is, is going to be a fantastic player for this team. I'm excited to have him on the offensive line, but they have a lot of guards. And if you, if you could trade a guard for a wide receiver too, even a top guard in the league, then maybe you consider doing that and then giving Trey Smith and Lucas Niang, if he's not the right tackle, and some of these other guys a shot at both of the guard positions. So not realistic maybe, but might be interesting to see. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. We'll go to a fun question, a more fun question. And I'm going to take it seriously, though. Twitter, Jeff Coleman, how many wins would the Chiefs have if Patrick Mahomes plays left-handed? What do you think? Does he have all off-season to practice left-handed? Or are you just <laughs> making him switch on day one? We can say that. No, yeah, we can say training camp, everything. He's going lefty. If you give him an off-season to train left-handed, I have no doubt that the guy can still play left-handed. He's made the one left-handed pass. I mean, break down his mechanics on that one and maybe isn't, uh, isn't, isn't elite yet. But give him an off-season to develop that. This team is at least um, 10 and 7, minimum. Yeah, that's what I would say. It's a playoff team for sure. It is definitely a playoff team. All right. Great googly moogly at G8 googly moogly on Twitter. What is your week one starting offensive line prediction? So we talked about the starting offensive line prediction in previous weeks a little bit. I think we're both on record here, but the angle that googly wants to take on this one I think is interesting is, is there any concern about playing three rookies up to three rookies next to each other if we're, if the starting lineup included Humphrey, Trey Smith, and Lucas Niang. Yeah, and I think that's fair because Andy Reid is not easy on the rookies. I think he he will definitely make them work for starting positions. So, and and we gotta we gotta cite Peter King's recent article. He did he did make a prediction of Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Austin Blythe, Kyle Long, and Remmers as the starting five offensive line, which obviously means there are no rookies starting. That's all veterans. And so I think that might be fair to kind of uh, assume and, and kind of think uh, more about. You know, maybe they don't feel comfortable starting Humphrey right away or Niang. You know, he didn't play last year at all. So I think that's something we got to consider that you know rookies may not get the benefit of the doubt or anything. I wrote a little bit about this in the OTA preview piece that I wrote. I, I'm on record as saying, eventually, I think the starting five might be Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Kyle Long, and Lucas Niang. So two rookies and, and Lucas Niang, yes, technically he's a rookie, but I'm putting that in quote, air quotes because I, he's had at least one, one full season with an NFL playbook in his hands. I think that's the day one regular season starting lineup. But I wouldn't be surprised if through the whole offseason they make those rookies earn it, and, and which could mean that they start off with Brown, Tooney, Blythe, LDT, and Remmers. You know, so it may be an entirely different right-hand side of the line than what we're predicting long-term because you're going to start with the incumbents, you'll start with the veterans, and we'll see how the rookies come along. I don't know about three rookies in a row, you know, it, it would have to be it would, in that equation. It would have to be a blowout performance by Trey Smith. 
to earn that right guard spot over two veterans uh, as opposed to the other guys beating out the one guy that they're competing with. Yeah, I agree. No, that's 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 the thing. And we haven't really seen rookie offensive linemen be drafted uh, in an in, in Andy Reid era, you know, recently, I feel like. So we really don't have a precedent, to be honest, uh, much of a precedent, at least. But yeah, that, that seems to be all the Twitter questions we have. Uh, all the Twitter questions we got to, at least we'll get to more next week, obviously, but no, we appreciate you guys listening. Please rate and review, please at, uh, you know, wherever you do Spotify, Apple music, whatever you listen to it on, keep tuning in to the Arrowhead pride podcast network for the editor show as well, as well as the great British show. And now we got Ron and, and BK back on here. So that's great. Um, but yeah, keep listening to out of structure each week, Wednesday. We appreciate you listening and we'll catch you next time.